close. Did you see what almost happened there? That little boy. Hey. Hey, I'm hungry. You hungry? Lois, you're amazing. Why, because I'm hungry? No, here you are standing in front of one of nature's most awesome spectacles, and you're thinking about food. I mean, aren't you impressed? Clark, once a girl's seen Superman in action, Niagara Falls kind of leaves you cold. You know what I mean? Him again, huh? Oh, I'm sorry. I have a one-track mind, don't I? Well, my one-track mind's telling me that I'm hungry. Hot dog? Hot dog. Hot dog. Oh, could I have some orange juice? Freshly, Freshly squeezed. squeezed. I know, okay. Welcome to Bubble Diorama, episode 231, Superman 2, Superman 2, the Richard Donnerkit, Superman 3, and Superman 4, the quest for peace. Yep, that's a lot of movies. This is a podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know, and movies you don't, and as always, a huge hi, welcome to you all, welcome back. I've had a bit of a break week last week, and whether you are a regular returning listener, whether you are a brand new listener to this podcast, thank you for being here. Because this is going to be quite big, actually. This is the first time I've ever covered four movies on the same podcast episode. So I am so happy to have you here for the history and legacy of Superman 2, Superman 2, The Richard Donnerkut, Superman 3, and Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. So this episode is pretty huge. If not in time, because I wanted to keep that quite manageable for me, but definitely in preparation. This episode has been a long time coming. And if you are wondering where the original 1978 Superman is, I've done an episode on that. And that is episode 152 of this podcast. I would highly recommend if you've not listened to that episode to go and listen to that episode first, because that basically details the history of Superman and the history of the making of Superman, the movie in 1978. And basically the story is going to start essentially at the end of Superman 1978, but also kind of in the middle as well, because quite famously, Superman and Superman 2 were filmed concurrently. 
which was something that wasn't really done at the time. It's done all the time nowadays when you have two movies, you film them concurrently. But back in the 70s, that was just not a thing. So the fact that Superman 2 was filmed at the same time as Superman is kind of a big deal. And so the story doesn't really start with Superman 2. It actually starts with Superman. So please go and listen to that episode and then come back to this one and listen to the rest. So this episode actually came about because I asked the patrons of this podcast, the wonderful patrons of this podcast, what they wanted to see on this podcast back in September. And it was this episode that got the most votes. I actually thought it was the Jaws episode because I did an episode on all of the Jaws sequels. Similarities between the Superman sequels and the Jaws sequels. But I actually miscounted. Uh, Patrons actually wanted Superman more than they wanted Jaws. But then September came around and I couldn't quite do everything. So then I thought, go big or go home. Don't just do the triple bill that you were going to do. Do the quadruple. So... I actually added the Richard Donner cut into this episode kind of late in the day. I went on Amazon Prime Video. I rented the Donner cut. I actually watched Superman 2 and then the Richard Donner cut and then 3 and then 4. And just like Jaws, we have a severe case of diminishing returns here with the Superman quadrilogy. But you know what? We're just going to jump straight in or should I say fly straight in? Because is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Superman 2. And here's the trailer. Superman 2. The adventure continues with the three villains from Krypton. Each one with the same powers as Superman. Each one dedicated to violence against mankind. Think of it. Three supervillains. Or four if you count him twice. The adventure continues in Paris with Lois Lane. I believe this is your floor. And the romance continues. The adventure continues in Washington. The world is on the brink of destruction. Superman, can you hear me? And Metropolis is in ruins. Superman, help us! Is there no one on this planet to even challenge me? Superman. General, would you care to step outside? Revenge. 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 Now we're cooking, huh? One's just as strong as Superman. If you've only seen the first part, you haven't seen the best part. The adventure continues in Superman 2. Terrorists 
taken over the Eiffel Tower and threatened to blow it up with a hydrogen bomb. Once again, Superman is there and saves Paris by throwing the bomb into outer space. Unfortunately, the explosion releases the three Kryptonian criminals, General Zod, Ursa and Non, imprisoned in the Phantom Zone. They descend upon Earth where they can finally rule. Superman, meanwhile, is in love with Lois Lane, who finds out who he really is, and after speaking to his mother, he chooses to give up his powers for Lois. Lex Luthor escapes from prison and is determined to destroy Superman by joining forces with the Kryptonians to end Superman 3 versus 1. Let's run through the cast. We have Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent, aka Superman, Ned Beatty as Otis, Jackie Cooper as Perry White, Sarah Douglas as Ursa, Margot Kidder as Lois Lane, Jack O'Halloran as Non, Valerie Perrine as Eve Teschmacher, Susanna York as Lara, Mark McClure as Jimmy Olsen, and Terence Stamp as General Zod. Superman 2 has a story by Mario Puzzo, screenplay by Mario Puzzo, David Newman and Leslie Newman, directed by Richard Lester, and was based on Superman by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Now, Superman started filming in March 1977 at Pinewood Studios and finished 19 months later in October 1978. The reason for the lengthy shoot was the simultaneous filming of both Superman and Superman 2, which was highly ambitious of the producers, father and son team Alexander and Ilya Salkind, since no one could predict whether Superman would actually be a success. Because of various production problems, time and budget constraints, and, shall we say, personality clashes, tensions started showing in the relationship between original movie director Richard Donner and the Sulkins and producer P.S. Spengler. Richard Lester was brought in as a temporary co-producer to mediate and would end up offering Richard Donner advice and assistance, but would go uncredited for his work on Superman. Lester had previously worked with the Sulkins on The Three Musketeers and The Four Musketeers in 1973 and 1974, respectively. Because of the issues, it was decided to halt production of Superman 2 and focus solely on Superman. Superman 2 was, at that point, 75% complete. This is important information in the sense that we're going to split the story into two. The theatrical release and the 2006 Richard Donner cut, which I'm going to come back to in a bit. Marlon Brando, meanwhile, sued the Sulkins for $50 million two days after Superman's release in 1978, claiming he never received his cut of the movie's profits and requested a restraining order to stop his likeness from being used. Although his request for a restraining order was denied, Brando was compensated $15 million from the settlement. Superman was released to a huge financial success and critical acclaim, and the sequel's production was then due to start in earnest. Producers Alexander and Ilya Sulkin decided that Marlon Brando's finished scenes for Superman 2 would not be included in the sequel in order to avoid having to pay the star the 11.75% of gross US box office receipts, and the decision was then made to remove Brando's scenes from Superman 2 and replace them. This irked, shall we say, Richard Donner, who was already not best pleased because the Sulkins had gone on the hunt for a replacement director due to his commitments to other projects and the promotion of Superman in Europe. They decided ultimately to fire Richard Donner and replace him with his friend and previous movies meditator Richard Lester. Donner had nearly finished all the main character-based scenes when the production was halted in October 1977. The majority of the scenes set in the Fortress of Solitude and every scene in The Daily Planet were finished, including scenes with Gene Hackman, Jackie Cooper, Ned Beatty, Valerie Perrine and Marlon Brando. The villains arrival on Earth and their rampage across Midwest America 
and the exteriors of Washington, D.C., where Zod announced his takeover of the Earth from the top of the Washington Monument, were still to be filmed. And the decision to remove him so late into the production of Superman 2 didn't go down well with Donna, and nor did it go down well with the rest of the cast and crew, who had 25% of a sequel to finish, and they wanted to finish it with Richard Donner. Key members of the crew declined to return unless Donner was reinstated. Gene Hackman would also decline to return for any reshoots, meaning a stand-in physical and voice actor were needed to help fill in the gaps for him. Creative consultant Tom Mankiewicz also refused to return out of respect for Richard Donner. And so the idea was to retool Superman 2. Co-screenwriters David and Leslie Newman were brought back on board to rewrite the Superman 2 script, and with Richard Donner refusing a co-director credit, the decision was made for Richard Lester to reshoot more than the 25% of the film that was necessary, and as per Directors Guild of America rules, he would need to shoot 40% or more to receive a director's credit. And this is why while some of the scenes between Superman 2 and the forthcoming Donner cut are identical or similar, others were reshot under Lester to count as new footage. Christopher Reeve was contracted to star in the two Superman movies shot back-to-back, but with production delays, Reeve's contract for the sequel had lapsed, and his contract had guaranteed that both films would be shot simultaneously. It would lead to the Sulkins suing Christopher Reeve in March 1979 for breach of contract for quote-unquote walking away from the production, whereas production had been halted and Reeve had instead agreed to star in Somewhere in Time in the interim, which was due to finish filming in July 1979. Reeve decided to not hold out for more money for his return to Superman 2, but instead negotiated for creative control. He wasn't happy with the new script, nor the new director. And so two years after Richard Donner shot the original material for Superman 2, Richard Lester was now charged with shooting original and updated material, which commenced at Pinewood Studios in September 1979, with the fight in Metropolis being filmed on the backlot and the East Houston-Idaho scenes at Chobham Common in Surrey. Because of the two-year delay, there were notable changes to actors' physiques, hair and makeup, most notably Margot Kidder, who'd lost weight in between the two productions and had different hairstyles in different shots. And Lester was a totally different director to Donna. He preferred a less serious approach to the character, a smaller scale, and wanted more humour and colour. David and Leslie Newman constructed a new opening and ending. The new opening involved Superman thwarting nuclear terrorists at the Eiffel Tower. The new ending involved Clark causing Lois to forget his secret identity through a hypnotic kiss. Susanna York was brought in to replace the Jor-El scenes, reprising her role as Superman's mother Lara and filling the void of Marlon Brando. John Williams, who'd also famously scored Superman, was contracted to return for Superman 2, but fell out with Richard Lester during a screening of the movie. Lester then selected his friend Ken Thorne to score the sequel from original material composed by John Williams. Because of budget restrictions, the score was recorded by an orchestra of contract players rather than the London Symphony Orchestra. On its domestic US release on the 19th of June 1981, Superman 2 opened at number one at the box office and on its $54 million budget went on to gross $108.2 million domestically and $108.2 million internationally for a total worldwide gross of $216.4 million, about $80 million less than its predecessor, but it still became the third highest grossing film of 1981 in the US after Raiders of the Lost Ark and On Golden Pond. Despite the troubled production, change of director and slapstick humour, most critics agreed it met its predecessor in terms of quality and universally praised Christopher Reeve for his understated and powerful performance. And while we got Superman 3 and 4 colon The Quest for Peace shortly afterwards, 
the issues between the Sulkins, Spengler and Donna were hardly industry secret. Discussion and debate raged for years, with Donna remaining steadfast that he was done with Superman too. And so the natural next story is all about how and why the Donna cut of Superman 2 came to be. So here's the trailer for Superman 2, the Richard Donna cut. Hi, I'm Dick Donner, or as uh, they would like to say, Richard Donner, because it's a Richard Donner film, but um, uh, Dick, my friends call me Dick, and I, I consider everybody out there a friend right now because you people asked for and waited to see my version of Superman 2, but if you hadn't asked and if you hadn't requested it, I don't think it would have ever seen the light of day. I thought it would lay in the vaults of Europe and never surface again, but because of all your requests and all your asking, it, it came to be. But over the past three decades, uh, much has happened. Most of all, I got gray hair. I didn't have one when I started. But much of my film had been lost. It was, been, as I said, in vaults and misplaced as films happened to be. And a lot of film was ruined, but through really good research and, and hard work, every bit was found that I had shot. But some of it, the film you're going to see in Superman 2, I didn't shoot. The, the producers felt um, they wanted to bring another director in. And so he shot some of uh, the film you're going to see. But nonetheless, here's Superman 2 with as much of my work as could be salvaged. So thanks to Warner Brothers, thanks to all of you people for making all this possible, and thank you, Michael, for, for reconstructing my film as close to the original version as I intended it to be. I just got a kick out of seeing it, something I never thought would happen. It was quite emotional, quite exciting. 30 years. I hope you all enjoy it. Krypton, criminals General Zod, Ursa and Non are sentenced to eternal banishment inside the Phantom Zone by Jor-El for insurrection and murder. Thirty years later, Superman diverts a missile into outer space, unknowingly freeing them from the Phantom Zone. They descend upon Earth where they can finally rule. Superman, meanwhile, is in love with Lois Lane, who finds out who he really is, and after speaking to his father, chooses to give up his powers for her. Lex Luthor escapes from prison and is determined to destroy Superman, by joining forces with the Kryptonians to end Superman 3 versus 1. Let's run through the cast for this one, very similar to the last one. Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent, aka Superman, Marlon Brando as Jor-El, Ned Beatty as Otis, Jackie Cooper as Perry White, Sarah Douglas as Ursa, Margot Kidder as Lois Lane, Jack O'Halloran as Non, Valerie Perrine as Eve Teschmacher, Mark McClure as Jimmy Olsen, and Terence Stamp as General Zod. Superman 2, the Richard Donnacutt has a story by Mario Puzzo, screenplay by Mario Puzzo, David Newman and Leslie Newman, and was directed by Richard Donner, based on Superman by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. So as we know, Richard Lester took over as director of the sequel's production after Richard Donner was removed from the production. Lester finished the rest of the movie for its theatrical run, but in order to get full director credit, he also rewrote and reshot a significant amount of Donna's footage. But the original footage did exist, and fans became aware of Donna's original cut of Superman 2 and what the differences between the two versions could be. 
And the story really starts with Richard Donner's personal assistant during the 80s, film editor and director Michael Thor. He was responsible for working on the DVD restoration of Superman in 2001, and for that project had sourced six tonnes of film footage from the 1978 original film in a vault in the UK. And located within that same vault, a further six tonnes of film footage from Superman 2, including previously lost footage that had been shot by Richard Donner. The Sulkins had stopped paying their storage bills over the years, meaning the labs had stopped categorising the negatives and cans. There was every possibility that the library was irreversibly damaged after 25 years of storage, but it survived, miraculously, despite the lack of climate control. The studio contacted Thor first because if the material wasn't in a good enough condition, there was no point even trying to enlist Richard Donner for any kind of special edition version of the movie. Following the DVD success of the restored 2001 DVD edition of Superman, as well as the fansite created fan-restored bootleg DVD known as Superman 2 Restored International Cut, which featured extended scenes pulled from international TV broadcasts over the years, the one the Warner Brothers threatened legal action over the bootleg, as well as a revival in the cinematic treatment of superhero stories from the likes of Spider-Man and X-Men, the latter of which was produced by Richard Donner, Warner Brothers saw an opportunity to give Donner's Superman 2 a similar official treatment. Donner was approached by Warner Brothers to release an extended version of Superman 2, but he was reluctant to do so, feeling like he was finished with the franchise and wanted to leave it alone. Richard Lester was also contacted by several people, including Elia Sulkind, Pierre Spengler and the Warner Brothers legal team, but they never received a response. And in the past, Richard Lester has always refused to be involved with Elia Sulkind or talk about Superman 2. Fan momentum was growing, though. The existence of Donner's original footage was a widely known fact, and campaigns for Donner to release a director's cut started to grow in fervour. In the infancy of the internet, though, without the veracity of somewhere like Twitter to help it, Fans did what was the next best thing in 2004, a letter-writing campaign that began on the blog The Forbidden Zone in May 2004, was one of the two major factors that helped to turn Donna around. Their plan was to send Warner Brothers a barrage of letters on the 19th of June, Superman 2's original release date. The aim was to convince Warner Brothers and Donna to release the Donna cut in time for Superman 2's 25th anniversary on the 19th of June 2005. It led to Warner Brothers releasing a statement in 2004 stating, quote, Warner Home Video is supportive of an extended version of Superman 2 on DVD. However, there are complex legal issues that need to be resolved before the film can be re-released. Warner Home Video is presently addressing those issues, unquote. Those issues most notably being the reluctance of Donner himself, the Sulkins owning the right to that footage, and the restrictions over Marlon Brando's image. A year later, in 2005, Marlon Brando's estate made a deal with Warner Brothers for the permission to use archive footage of Brando for Superman Returns, which included unknown material that hadn't been seen or heard for 25 years, including several blooper reels. The studio would go back to Brando's estate and ask permission for the footage from Superman 2 to be recut into a new version facilitated by Michael Thor with Richard Donner's notes and feedback. As Donner was working on the film 16 Blocks at the time, Thor spent months sorting through and assembling reels of footage, as well as consulting with continuity documents from the original production. While Donner was originally not interested in taking part in the new cut, he started to warm up to the project, and Tom Mankiewicz would also then get involved, which would encourage Richard Donner further. The restoration in its entirety took nine months, including preliminary planning. It took roughly a month to complete the colour transfer, which started from the original negative and proceeded straight to HD 
color timing and high definition assembly. In order to have a negative as their source for future releases, just like any other film, they also printed 35mm negative for the vaults, and the Leicester negatives remain in the Warner Brothers vault. Karen Rash also got a co-producer credit on the Richard Donner cut for all the work she did editing the movie. Colour correcting and wire removal work was also done. Most of Leicester's work was omitted, including the more humorous tongue-in-cheek set pieces, huge cellophane S anyone, it would instead include alternate takes from Donna, as well as a screen test between Christopher Reeve and another actress as Lois Lane, and Margot Kidder's separate screen test with Reeve shot after his casting in a scene at Niagara Falls that Donna was never able to actually film. As Lester had filmed stuff that Donna hadn't gone round to, there was no choice but to use his footage of East Houston, Idaho and the Metropolis fight. The Donner cut is made up of a significant amount of newly edited material by Michael Thor, along with Donner's Superman 2 scenes edited by Stuart Baird in 1977-78, and the theatrical Superman 2 scenes cut by John Victor Smith in 1980. Less than 20% of Lester's footage is said to have been used in the revised version. The time reversal ending is the same as Superman, but only because that ending was always supposed to be the ending of Superman 2. It was only used for Superman as they didn't have another ending to hand at the time. And no one liked the magic kiss aspect of Lester's movie. Michael Thor would say that to Lois it would never make sense for her to kiss Clark, so the time travel sequence was used instead in lieu of any acceptable ending. John Williams was approached by Donna to compose a new score for his version of the movie, but Williams was unable to assist since he was busy scoring Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith and had previously declined a similar request from Brian Singer, the director of Superman Returns. Williams' compositions from the first film were repurposed by Donna, along with unreleased and unused cues. Ken Thorne's score was kept somewhat intact, but Thorne was demoted to the closing credits for additional music, and Williams' compositions are instead acknowledged in the new opening title sequence. The Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 aired exclusive footage at the 2006 Comic-Con in San Diego, and included an hour-long panel with Donna, Mankiewicz, Thor, and actors Mark McClure and Jack O'Halloran. It premiered on the 2nd of November 2006 at the Directors Guild of America building in Hollywood, attended by Donna, Elia Salkind, Mankiewicz, Margot Kidder, Sarah Douglas, O'Halloran and McClure, with the movie dedicated to the late Christopher Reeve, who died two years previously in 2004. For better or worse, the Donner Cut would set a precedent. Fan-led campaigns went from quiet and respectful online forums and discussion boards, run by the likes of Darmesh Chorhan, who was responsible for the fan site supermancinema.co.uk, to the aggressive trolling of fans demanding Zack Snyder get to re-release his version of Justice League four years after its original release. Unlike the Richard Donner cut, though, Zack Snyder's Justice League would go through hundreds of dollars of reshoots to create the cut of the movie that fans wanted. At least the Richard Donner material mostly existed and they worked around and carefully and meticulously edited what they had. Superman 2 The Richard Donner Cut would be the last movie Donner worked on as director before his death in 2021 at the age of 91. And speaking of online forums and aggressive fan campaigns on computers, we're going to move to a cautionary tale about computers taking over the world. Here's the trailer for Superman 3. When it's time for adventure, it's time for Superman. Alexander Salkine presents Christopher Reeve and Richard Pryor 
in Superman 3. This time, Richard Pryor has come to Metropolis. Oh, I'm sorry. And he's got something to sell. <laughs> he's the best con man and the world's greatest computer genius. Let me tell you something. I can't ski. But then he falls. <laughs> for a scheme to turn the ultimate computer into the ultimate weapon. Well, what would it do for me? It would do anything you tell me to tell it to do. A machine so powerful. Baby, it's daddy. It can control the Earth. Now, getting down to business. Change the weather. Now, something. You're a genius. And reprogram Superman. Thought you'd never get here. Well, I hope you don't expect me to save you, because I don't do that anymore. <laughs> he didn't die. I ask you to kill Superman, and you're telling me you couldn't even do that one simple thing. Ah. All right, Webster, the game's over. But only the man who pulled the switch on Superman. Oh, uh, see, I'm not with them, Superman. Could have fooled me, mister. Can pull the plug on Super Machine. You're going to go down in history as the man who killed Superman. Um, no. Thank you, brother. Superman 3. Uh, watch the trees. Whoa! This time is going to be the best time of all. As Lois takes a trip to Bermuda, Clark travels to Smallville for his high school reunion and reconnects with his childhood sweetheart Lana Lang and her son Ricky. Unemployed Gus Gorman is hired as a computer programmer and manages to embezzle $85,000 from his employer. His talents are spotted and he is hired by CEO Ross Webster to take control of the coffee business by wiping out all of the competition via satellite. After Superman destroys their plan, Ross makes Gus figure out how to find kryptonite to eliminate Superman, but he uses tar as the missing element. After exposure, it causes Superman to start to embrace his dark side. Let's run through the cast. We have Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman. Richard Pryor as Gus Gorman. Jackie Cooper as Perry White. Mark McClure as Jimmy Olsen. Annette O'Toole as Lana Lang. Robert Vaughan as Ross Bubba Webster. Annie Ross as Vera Webster. Pamela Stevenson as Lorelai Ambrosia. And Margot Kidder as Lois Lane. Superman 3 has a screenplay by David Newman and Leslie Newman, was directed by Richard Lester, and based on Superman by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. A month before Superman 2's release in June 1981, Superman 3 was already in pre-production, with an original treatment written by Elia Salkind, which included the characters of Brainiac, Mr. Mix Ilplik, and Supergirl, 
with Brainiac as Supergirl's surrogate father and Superman and Supergirl falling in love despite them being cousins in the comics. Enraging Brainiac, who then corrupts Superman, turns him evil, and it would have then ended with a time travel subplot back to the Middle Ages to confront Brainiac and defeat him. Unsurprisingly, this treatment was deemed too expensive to make and was rejected by Warner Brothers. Supergirl would go on to have her own solo film in 1984, and I'll come back to that in a little bit. But that original treatment, save for the evil Superman subplot, was very different to what we ultimately ended up with, with Warner Brothers demanding a safe approach to the second Superman sequel, and for that safety, they turned to Richard Lester, who the Sulkins respected after the success of Superman 2, and one of the biggest comedians of the time, Richard Pryor, eschewing the first movie's mythos and sincerity for a more campy, broad comedy. Richard Pryor was a huge comedian in the early 80s, eventually winning a primetime Emmy and five Grammy Awards for his comedy albums, as well as a posthumous Lifetime Achievement Award Grammy in 2006. He would also receive a BAFTA nomination for Best Screenplay for his work on Blazing Saddles. In 1980, he became the first black actor to earn $1 million for his role in Stir Crazy, and in 1983 signed a $40 million deal with Columbia Pictures with his production company Indigo Productions. And he appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and gushed about his love for the Superman movies and how much he would love to be in one. The Sulkins saw it and immediately contacted Pryor's people. It would cost $5 million for Pryor to appear in Superman 3, and the Sulkins thought that having Richard Pryor would mean a guaranteed hit. But while the Sulkins and Richard Lester thought Richard Pryor was a coup for the third Superman film, Superman himself did not agree. Christopher Reeve didn't want to return to the role after he felt the Sulkins had screwed over his friend Richard Donner after firing him from Superman 2. He was fed up with the role and wanted to take on something different. Replacement actors were considered by the Sulkins, including John Travolta, Jeff Bridges and Kurt Russell. Tony Danza was chosen as the replacement for Reeve, but Richard Lester refused the recasting and pleaded for Reeve's return. Screenwriters David and Leslie Newman were hired to write Superman 3, which essentially became much more of a comedic vehicle for Pryor than a film about Superman, which also irked Christopher Reeve, who by this point was finally getting top billing for a Superman movie, which he hadn't before now. But with the involvement of Pryor came a slapstick Superman movie that wasn't even really about Superman, and mostly just a vehicle for Pryor's comedic chops. The fact that Pryor was paid more than Reeve probably didn't help matters either. Both Gene Hackman and Margot Kidder were also angry at how Richard Donner had been treated. Kidder publicly criticised the Sulkins, and Lois Lane was reduced to a mere cameo. Elia Sulkind would deny any ill will towards Kidder and stressed that they felt the character of Lois Lane and the relationship between Lois and Clark had run its course over two movies, and they preferred to take his love life in a different direction. And the natural way to do that would be to remove Lois Lane from the movie. Hackman would reportedly refuse to return as Lex Luthor, but denied the rift publicly, claiming he was busy making other movies, something Sulkind also confirmed. The love interest was changed to Lana Lang, Clark Kent's friend from his high school years in Smallville and the villain became Ross Bubba Webster, a super wealthy villain who runs many businesses who is definitely not Lex Luthor. Webster was an original character purely created for the movie and doesn't exist in any Superman canon, unlike Lana Lang who debuted in Superboy number 10 in 1950. The only thing Reeve did love about Superman 3 was the tar kryptonite by which Superman starts to turn evil and eventually bifurcates the character into the evil Superman and the good Clark Kent, and the two battle each other for dominance of the body. And in this scene, Reeve continues to prove why he was the perfect, and some might still say epitome, of the casting of the character. 
The movie was almost called Superman vs. Superman until the lawyers came knocking. Kramer vs. Kramer wasn't too pleased about that, apparently. The rest of it is safe to say Reeve wasn't really on board with, and that's putting it lightly. And in an unemployed Gus Gorman becoming a computer genius in Bezler overnight by typing, quote, channel half cents from all Websco salaries into above expenses account, unquote, is apparently not entirely accurate. And let me tell you, I work in IT, so I know it's not entirely accurate. As well as being a cautionary tale of skyscrapers ski slopes, husbands with grapefruits calling 01234567789 and Atari Superman missile controls. And I'm going to come back to those because I love a good Atari computer game. Principal photography on Superman 3 started on the 21st of June 1982. The majority of the interior scenes were filmed at Pinewood Studios, just like the previous Superman films. The junkyard scene was shot on Pinewood's backlot and the 007 stage was used for the supercomputer. Exterior shots of this scene were filmed in Glen Canyon, Utah. Richard Lester had previously filmed scenes at Battersea Power Station for the Beatles film Help, and he returned for filming the coal mine scene where Superman leaves Gus. Because of Canada's tax breaks for film companies, the majority of the exteriors were shot in Calgary, Alberta. The St. Louis Hotel in downtown East Village, Calgary, served as the backdrop for Superman's drinking spree. It was a long-running urban legend that Atari created a special version of Superman 3 specifically for the movie, and they were working on the tie-in video game at the time, but it was never actually released. What Atari did do was create an animation that looked like a video game by essentially creating a video game simulator. Now, programming a video game was an arduous 9-12 to month task, and there were no guarantees it would be a success after all that work and investment. Steve Wright, the director of software development at Atari, developed a rapid prototyping game system where a new game could be developed in weeks, play-tested, and if found to be worthy, then and only then would it be assigned to a programmer. An artificial intelligence computer, the Symbolics Lisp machine, was connected to an Icona's frame buffer. Lisp was chosen as the game logic language because it was an object-orientated language perfect for game logic. The Iconos Frame Buffer was, at the time, the biggest and best graphics processing engine. And getting the two totally different machines to talk to each other and respond to an Atari joystick took the better part of a year. But when it was finished, a completely playable game could be prototyped in just a few weeks. Warner Brothers and Atari were both owned by Time Warner. And Richard Lester had envisioned a scene where the evil villain would use a super smart computer to fire missiles at Superman in a climactic sequence that was shown on the screen like a video game. Atari CEO Ray Kasser received a letter from Steve Ross, the CEO of Time Warner, asking if Atari could provide the video game footage for Superman 3. Ray Kasser enlisted Steve Wright, whose special projects department's rapid prototyping system was ideal for the task. Within a matter of weeks, the special projects department had an Acme 35mm animation camera connected to an Iconos frame buffer, connected to a symbolic Lisp machine, which was connected to a Matrix film recorder, in 1982, the idea of filming computer graphics was quite a new thing. Carl Rosendahl had recently opened PDI, a computer animation studio in Sunnyvale, and he was the only person Wright knew who could set up and calibrate a 35mm film recorder. After meeting director Richard Lester at Pinewood Studios, Steve Wright and the simulator development team started working on the Superman 3 video game animation. The footage was created and sent to film very quickly, thanks to this newly implemented game simulator. And why did the Superman 3 game never materialise? Well, the simple reason was that after it was playtested by the focus groups, the game was not considered a strong enough candidate for release with difficult controls, and so it never materialised. 
Superman 3 was released on the 17th of June 1983. It opened at number one at the box office, second to Return of the Jedi, which had been out for five weeks at that point. Superman 3 would grow $60 million domestically in the US and $20.2 million internationally for a total worldwide gross of $80.2 million on its $39 million budget. It was a little bit of a financial disappointment, shall we say, for the Salkins and for the Superman 3 team. But then we got Nuclear Man in Milton Keynes. So let's talk about Superman 4 The Quest for Peace. Here's the trailer. The greatest hope against the threat of nuclear war is Superman. I'm going to do what our governments have been unwilling or unable to do. Effective immediately, I'm going to rid our planet of all nuclear weapons. The greatest threat to Superman is Lex Luthor. Smarter than I thought. We can make the world safe for war profits. He's created the ultimate weapon to annihilate the Man of Steel. You'd risk worldwide nuclear war for your own personal financial gain. Nobody wants war. I just want to keep the threat alive. Dude of Steel. Where are you gonna get it? You know you're a workaholic. Why don't you stop and smell the roses, huh? Superman 4. Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, Jackie Cooper, John Cryer, with Mariel Hemingway and Margot Kidder as Lois Lane. Superman 4. His most important adventure. The quest for peace. war becomes more possible, Superman decides to rid the world of all nuclear weapons, which annoys black market arms dealers. The Daily Planet is taken over by media magnate David Warfield and his daughter Lacey. The once proud paper finds itself to now be a sleazy tabloid. With his nephew breaking him out of prison, Lex Luthor steals a hair from Superman's head from a museum and uses it to create Nuclear Man, using the power of the sun and promises big returns for the arms dealers. As the two superpower beings brawl, Nuclear Man scratches Superman, giving him radiation sickness and threatening that Lex Luthor might finally win against the Man of Steel. Spoiler alert, he does not. But let's run through the cast. Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent, aka Superman. Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor. Mark Pillow as Nuclear Man. Jackie Cooper as Perry White. Mark McClure as Jimmy Olsen. John Cryer as Lenny Luthor. Sam Wanamaker as David Warfield. Mariel Hemingway as Lacey Warfield and Margot Kidder as Lois Lane. Superman for the Quest for Peace has a story by Christopher Reeve, Lawrence Connor and Mark Rosenthal. Screenplay by Lawrence Connor and Mark Rosenthal was directed by Sidney J. Fury and based on Superman by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. So, Superman 3 hadn't done huge box office. But it was still enough for the Sulkins to plan to produce a sequel despite the negative critical reaction. But first, their next project was going to be Supergirl, a character originally meant to show up in Superman 3, but who instead got her own solo spin-off featuring Mark McClure as Jimmy Olsen and a planned cameo from Christopher Reeve as the Man of Steel. That didn't happen, Reeve fouled out of the cameo early on, and it's explained that Superman is off on a peacekeeping mission in a distant galaxy. The director, Gino Schwartz, the same guy who made Jaws 2, 
and had also directed Reeve in Somewhere in Time in 1980. Safe to say that Supergirl was classed as a box office bomb, only making $14.3 million on its $35 million budget. The Solkins took a financial hit, but it was okay because their next movie was a Christmas movie and everyone loves a Christmas movie, right? Kinda not. Santa Claus the Movie came out the following year in 1985, again directed by Gino Schwartz, written by David and Leslie Newman, cost between 30 to $50 million to make, but only raked in $23.7 million. The Sulkins were in trouble. They needed cash. And after negotiations, they decided to sell the Superman franchise to the Canon Group, led by Israeli cousins Menahem Golan and Yoram Globus. Canon paid $5 million in June 1985, and for a company that started out by importing Swedish adult movies to the US with English subtitles, totally true by the way, they had a mantra of purchasing scripts on the cheap, making the movies with as low a budget as possible and churning them out, thinking that if only 3 out of 10 were successful, they'd make enough money to pay for the entire slate. But they'd grown a little greedy and they wanted some franchises. Enter Superman and Masters of the Universe. But once they'd bought Superman, they needed to do something with him. And at the time, they'd had some higher budget failures like Life Force, which cost $25 million and failed to make back half. As well as a $25 million Sylvester Stallone thumb wrestling movie called Over the Top, which also only made back half its budget. But they had a saving grace. Not Superman, but He-Man. Masters of the Universe was one of the hottest properties of the 80s, and they budgeted $17 million for He-Man's first big screen adventure. And while Masters of the Universe was being filmed, they were also ramping up pre-production for their big fourth Superman movie, and in preparation, sold future VHS and cable distribution rights to their films to fund the Superman movie, planning to spend $36 million on Superman 4. Christopher Reeve at this point was done after the failure of Superman 3. He wanted to hang up his cape for good. But he had a personal project he really wanted to make instead, a crime thriller called Street Smart. But he was having trouble getting that movie financed. Enter the Cannon Group, who told Reeve they would back Street Smart financially if he returned to Superman 4. Reeve wasn't done though. He agreed to return only if they paid him $6 million, only if they funded Street Smart, and if they gave him story and director approval. They agreed and Reeve pitched a story close to his heart, the nuclear arms problem and the failure of the US and Soviet Union to come to an agreement at the Reykjavik summit in 1986. Superman would care about world peace this time round, and Reeve liked the idea of the character solving real-world problems, as well as eschewing the parody and slapstick of Superman 3, and bringing back Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor and a meteor role for Margot Kidder's Lois Lane. Reeve aspired to direct, but due to his inexperience, a new director who wasn't Richard Lester was sought. Reeve wanted Ron Howard, but he was busy making Willow. Wes Craven was hired, but Reeve actioned his director approval and got Craven removed. Sidney J. Fury was eventually hired, known for his work on the acclaimed spy thriller The Icarus File and Iron Eagle. Reeve would actually go on to direct several second unit scenes for Superman 4 instead. The $36 million Superman 4 sequel was all set to go ahead. Uh, until it wasn't. Principal photography began on the 29th of September 1986 at Elstree Studios in the UK with a $36 million budget. Shortly before production began, however, Canon suffered a financial crisis and decided to reduce Superman 4's budget. The issue was that Masters of the Universe's original $17 million budget was rapidly running out, making it appear that as though director Gary Goddard would not be able to finish the film. 
In order to allow masses of the universe to complete filming, Golan and Globus simply divided the budget for Superman 4 in half and distributed the funds to their other projects. As a result, Superman 4 had a smaller budget than even the Masters of the Universe movie, and its runtime was also slashed from 134 minutes to 90. At the time, Canon was working on nearly 30 different projects, and despite the Superman name and standing in the industry, Superman 4 wasn't prioritised, something that annoyed Christopher Reeve. He'd say as much in his biography. Canon had gone six years without a big hit and were, quite frankly, at the time, hemorrhaging money. Superman 4 was the only Superman movie to be entirely filmed here in the UK, which is great for the UK film industry, I guess, but not so great when your lead character is supposed to live in a bustling huge US city akin to the size of New York. It was famously filmed in the city of Milton Keynes, a city I don't live all that far from, a city I've been on a night out to a couple of times, a city that simply does not look at all like Metropolis, or the United Nations headquarters, I have to say. Both Fury and Reeve begged Cannon for more money to film in New York, but the money was simply not there. Even Clark Kent's childhood home in Smallville was recreated in the UK, rather than travel to the original farm in Alberta. John Cryer, who played Lex Luthor's nephew Lenny Luthor, claimed that Cannon just ran out of money during the making of Superman IV The Quest for Peace, and the resulting film was unfinished, and it's hard to not see where he's coming from. Despite this, the premiere at Leicester Square in London on the 23rd of July 1987 was attended by Prince Charles and Princess Diana. The Queen had attended at the same place for the premiere of Superman nine years earlier in 1978. Clearly, Her Majesty had an inkling one wasn't going to like this movie as much. On its $17 million budget, it would make $15.7 million domestically in the US and $14.6 million internationally, for a total worldwide gross of $30.3 million. So while it wasn't a huge financial disaster, it still really didn't do the money Canon expected. Nevertheless, a sequel was mooted. Canon Films did have plans to produce Superman 5 and wanted Reed to reprise his role as the Man of Steel. They intended to go an even more economical route, using 45 minutes of uncut Superman 4 footage as the foundation for a fifth film. But nothing came of it, and Canon folded in the early 1990s in the red following a string of unsuccessful projects. The Sulkins once again owned the movie rights to Superman, but they decided to invest in a Superboy series instead. Screenwriter Kerry Bates presented the Sulkins with a pitch in 1991 for Superman 5, again starring Christopher Reeve. Bates, along with Elia Sulkind, intended to set up the newly resurrected After Death Man of Steel against Brainiac in the bottle city of Kandor, ignoring Superman 3 and 4, a move that director Brian Singer also made in 2006 when he directed Superman Return, and the Superman 5 movie would end with Superman proposing to Lois Lane. However, the Sulkins were producing Christopher Columbus' The Discovery at this point in the early 1990s, which went drastically over budget and cost the father and son team $40 million. Following that, the Sulkins left the film industry and Warner Brothers regained ownership of the Superman film rights. It would take 19 years after Superman 4's 1987 failure for the Man of Steel to make a big screen comeback in Superman Returns, despite the failed attempt by Tim Burton, Superman Lives, which would have starred Nicolas Cage. And it's hard to look at these movies' gradually declining quality without feeling supremely sad about the love and passion that was clearly there for these characters from the very beginning. We lost Christopher Reeve in 2004, Margot Kidder in 2018, Richard Donner in 2021, Marlon Brando in 2004, Tom Mankiewicz in 2010, and Alexander Sulkind in 1997. 
The Sulkins may have had their issues with Richard Donner. And it's fascinating to get that what if scenario of what if Richard Donner was able to finish his Superman 2. The power of fandom, just like the power of Superman, can be used for good or evil. And this was one occasion where it actually felt just, regardless of whether you prefer the theatrical or the Donner cut. I lean towards the Donner cut myself. Superman 3 is a wild enigma of a movie that has some standout parts, notably the evil Superman versus Clark Kent fight. Christopher Reeve really does excel in that. And Richard Pryor is fine, but just feels out of place for a Superman movie. Evil robot Vera might just be nightmare fuel, though. And Superman 4, not as terrible as everyone makes it out to be. They're just not all that good either. Good ideas, but sloppy execution. And can you expect any less from canon? Modern cinematic Superman has its critics, including mostly that the franchise seems to be struggling under the weight of its own legacy. Christopher Reeve was the Superman that most of us grew up with. He just is Superman. And his real-life injury and lifetime of activism for environmental and human rights just adds to that. He was Superman in real life. And it's a shame that these movies deteriorated, but he wasn't wrong. He would see Lex Luthor in 20. Superman Returns might have ignored the events of 3 and 4, but it was released 19 years after the quest for peace. And we might have to tell the story of Superman Returns at some point in the near future on this podcast. But thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Superman 2, Superman 2 The Richard Donnercutt, Superman 3, and Superman 4 The Quest for Peace. Coming next on this podcast, something big different, a weird coming-of-age story which involves time travel and a man in a bunny suit. But what does it all mean? And why did a small, low-budget psychological science fiction thriller seem to capture the imaginations of college-aged people all over the world? It really is a mad world. Join me next week for the history and legacy of Donnie Darko, a movie that I have not seen in a very, very long time that I own on DVD and I've never even thought to go back to. So I'm really excited to be going back to Donnie Darko and to tell the story of the history and legacy of Donnie Darko. But if you have enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. Retweet or like posts on social media. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky and Letterboxd. Or you can simply tell your friends or family, especially if they're a fan of Christopher Reeve's Superman. Tell them about this episode. Tell them about the previous episode on Superman as well, if you wish. And as always, a huge thank you to the patrons of Verbal Diorama. And if you do want to join them and you want to help support this podcast and support what I'm trying to do, with this podcast. I am a solo podcaster. I do all of this on my own. It's sometimes incredibly hard work and the support that the patrons give me is invaluable to kind of keep me going sometimes. I know times are hard for everyone, but if you can help, that would be so appreciated. You can visit verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon to become a patron, or you can visit verbaldiorama.com slash tips to give a one-off tip for this podcast. If you want to get in touch with me, you can. You can email me, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can say hi, or you can just visit my website, verbaldiorama.com, and you can fill out them in the contact form, and I will reply, and I will say hi back. And finally... Look to your left, tall, dark, and handsome. I'm going to blow 20 stories off that building. Give and take a floor or two. Peace. Man. Club's okay in there. Have it a look, okay? I'm sorry, Lois. When an emergency's come up, I'll have to go. My apologies to Miss Warfield. Oh, Superman! Take me with you! I 
remember the story. You seen Clark? Huh? Bye. Movie should know. Movie should talk.